There's no way you'd catch me doing that. Hello and welcome to this week's Urgent Bite, brought to you by the Royal New Zealand College of Urgent Care. My name is Guy Melrose and today we take a quick look at traumatic tympanic membrane rupture. Growing up in Britain, I'm accustomed to strange rituals and unusual sports. Some are quite old, like Honiton's hot penny throwing tradition that dates back 800 years, and its local communities that take great pride in keeping these traditions alive for the modern age that we still see them today. The Cooper's Hill Cheese Rolling Contest, in which competitors race to beat a wheel of cheese rolling down a steep hill, has taken place since 1826, and despite health and safety concerns, continues to this day. And other equally eccentric British activities include bog snorkelling, in which competitors traverse a 60-yard peat trench in snorkel, mask and flippers. And this was created a little more recently, 1976 in fact. I'm sure that there are many similar examples of these kind of quirky activities all around the world, but certainly Scandinavia is home to some of them. The one I was most aware was the sport of wife-carrying, which originated in Finland, probably in the late 1800s. But one I've just had appear on my radar is a Norwegian invention, and that is called dots diving, or in English, death diving. If you watch Olympic diving, you will see athletes graciously enter the water headfirst after doing some impressive acrobatics. Then the sport of cliff diving, or high diving, sees a similar acrobatic preface to water entry, but due to the increased height that these athletes are jumping from, they enter feet first to avoid injuring themselves. In death diving, it seems to be a hybrid of these two types of diving, with the athlete jumping off structures up to a record height of 34 metres for men and 24 metres for women, pulling shapes on the way down that, while acrobatic in their own right, are probably looking to achieve style rather than neatness, and then just when it looks like they're going to belly flop hard onto the water, they tuck themselves into a prawn shape so that their hands and feet hit the water at the same time, thereby preventing injury. My mind turns to Toy Story, in which Woody describes Buzzer's attempts at flying as falling with style. It's quite the thing to see, and the World Championships get huge crowds and TV coverage. It's quite entertaining to watch, and it looks to take a lot of skill and no little guts to do this from such heights. And in my brief foray into watching death diving, I have seen a fair few people mistime their landings, and it does look painful. 
The competitions have safety divers and boats on hand, and this is not something that should be tried without proper training and practice, no matter how chaotic the whole process looks. Anyway, seeing someone slam into the water in an under-rotated prawn position made me think of a traumatic tympanic membrane rupture. As along with concussive forces from an explosion, or being clapped around the head by a ball or a hand, hitting water in a failed dive is certainly one way to get a traumatic tympanic membrane rupture, and they very well may pass through urgent care. So I wanted to know what the red flags we should look for are, and what are the complications, and what is the best disposal. So the first thing to note is the level of trauma delivered. A study from JAMA Otolaryngology Head and Neck from 2018 by Carniol et al. found that 61% of traumatic tympanic membrane ruptures were caused by ear canal instrumentation. Cotton tips, or Q-tips, were the culprit in 44% of cases, but particularly in kids, all kinds of things can be put into the ear to scratch or remove wax or just pass the time. That this continues, despite the message being clear that you should not put anything in your ear smaller than your elbow, it is amazing how humans continue to have a fascination with sticking things in their ears. So this type of trauma from a rogue cotton bud is quite low energy, and a full exam should include visualising the tympanic membrane, and, if you've got it, doing tympanometry if you cannot see a rupture. Reading the StatPearls page on this, fogging of the otoscope can be a sign, due to humid air from the nasopharynx passing through the eustachian tube and through the rupture, but I do not think I've seen this before. But you would suspect a rupture if there is a history of sticking something in the ear with resultant pain, bloody otorrhea, and perhaps vertigo or tinnitus, which is usually short-lived. These patients should have their hearing assessed, and we should be in the habit of assessing the cranial nerves, vestibular function, and looking for signs of infection. Ciproxin eardrops or oral antibiotics are indicated if there is infection. Sometimes I have found that kids have been poking in their ear because of the pain and the sensation of underlying infection from both otitis media and otitis externa. Now, the aforementioned study found that in kids aged between 13 and 18, the leading cause of a traumatic tympanic membrane rupture was autotrauma. It doesn't mention death diving as a cause, but in considering these other causes, like taking a blow to the head from a ball or a hand, or water from a mistimed dive, it's important that we do a full head injury screen considering indications for CT head and obviously risk of cervical spine injury and these all need to be made along with a full neuro exam, spinal and otologic exams and the higher the trauma, 
the more likely a more serious injury is to have occurred. Now, if your patient has a sensorineural hearing loss, any vertigo persisting or vestibular symptoms or any abnormal neurology, facial nerve palsy being something that we might see after a traumatic tympanic membrane rupture, then we need to be referring these people acutely to hospital. Also, if you see that there is a rupture and it's in the posterior part of the tympanic membrane, then this is an occasion to speak to ENT because this has a higher chance of damaging the ossicular chain. It is also worth looking up what a perilymph fistula is, as these are apparently possible after trauma, and so any abnormal findings in your examination as above can be indicative of these. If we satisfy ourselves that it is just a simple tympanic membrane rupture without any red flags, then antibiotics are only needed in the presence of infection, or if you're concerned that it was a particularly dirty injury, so maybe a dirty body of water was the cause of the injury. And all tympanic membrane ruptures need some kind of follow-up. Stat pearls suggest that most will heal, but the follow-up is needed for review, and if you're concerned about the size, as this can be a risk for failure to close, then follow-up with ENT is wise. And in New Zealand, this would usually be covered by ACC. Patients should keep the ear dry, and using cotton wool with a little bit of Vaseline to cover the external meatus without sticking anything down the ear is a good way to prevent water ingress when showering. So my take home from my reading this week, for traumatic tympanic membrane ruptures, as opposed to infective causes or the erosive type, we have to be thorough in our history and exam, making sure that we check the cranial nerves, the vestibular system, and do a hearing screen. We need to be cautious. Higher trauma needs the full head trauma workup. But most of the cases that we do probably see will be from people poking things in their ears. A posterior rupture needs us to consider the risk of ossicular chain injury, so these should be referred. And perilymph fistulas, or concerns about one, need to be referring. But if you do a thorough exam, then these things should be detected and your referral shouldn't be too difficult to ENT or the emergency department if you describe an abnormal exam in the presence of traumatic tympanic membrane injury. And as always, if in doubt, a quick call to ENT for guidance is always worth it. So I'll link in the show notes to the paper mentioned and also to the stat pills page, which are both worth reading. If you fancy checking out death diving, then just search YouTube and you will see these fearless Norwegians throwing themselves off rocks and bridges and quite literally slamming into the water, seemingly face first. It is quite a spectacle. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions or corrections, email podcast at rnzcuc.org.nz. And we'll be back again next week with another podcast. I look forward to seeing you all then. But for now, thanks for listening.